0: Kevin and Stacy, are they, where, where are they? Thank you. Thank you. The, the church is not a place. You didn't come to church this morning. The, the church is people who walk with each other. And when those people get together, we should tell stories often. Tell stories often of God's goodness and his, um, his with us you know, nature no matter what. And we, we should do things like this. Often, this is what we do when the church gathers together, is we, re- we tell stories and we remind ourselves of the stories that are pictures to us of a God who loves us and who's with us, even in and especially in uh, the valleys, in the hard times. So thank you for your courage this morning. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your honesty. And thank you for the way that uh, your family is a blessing to our family. So amen. All right, hey, repeat after me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, heart. and lean not on your own understanding. understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, him. and He will make your paths straight. straight. Proverbs Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. We'll come back to that. At the beginning of this year, uh, we began a series called Kingdom Culture, Living in the Reign of the King. And we talked about how if Jesus had a favorite topic or a message, it was the kingdom of God. Just this past Friday, in our Bible reading plan that we're moving through as a congregation, uh, you read these words in the book of Acts. And right at the beginning of Acts We have Luke, the author of Acts, uh, writing to his friend Theophilus. And he's talking about how in my previous book, which was the Gospel of Luke, I told you about Jesus' life and his ministry. And then how, jumping into verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to all of his apostles and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. There's all kinds of... Things that Jesus could have talked about with his apostles, with his followers, during his last 40 days on this earth. But the primary thing that was on his heart was the kingdom of God. And not just during his last 40 days on earth. The kingdom of God, his entire ministry revolved around, centered around the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, or as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven, was Jesus' central priority. The church was not his central priority. The church is just a vehicle of kingdom bringing. The kingdom of God was Jesus' central priority in his life and in his ministry. So we have to pause and stop and ask ourselves as his disciples today if the kingdom of God was such a central priority to Jesus, if his whole life revolved around the kingdom of God, does ours? Is that a central priority in our life? I mean, I hope so. We center our church around uh, the kingdom of God. Our our vision, our vision as a church, we articulate it this way, is to bring, or we use the word to embody, to embody the kingdom of God, to, to incarnate it, to put flesh on it in our families, in our community, and in our world. So what did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? That's what we're diving into in this series. And and I I just want to remind ourselves, the kingdom of God is a difficult thing to define. It it is. It's it's kind of hard to reduce the kingdom of God into a simple definition. The kingdom of God and the storylines of the kingdom of God are way too big to just put into a sentence. But we try. And I like how uh, Reggie McNeil in his book, Um, kingdom come, kind of puts some language to, he sort of not defines but maybe characterizes the kingdom of God. He says this, the kingdom of God is life as God intended it to be, sort of his original blueprint for creation. And the narrative, the storyline of the kingdom of God is this epic and heroic story of what God has done what He has done, and what He will do to bring about the fulfillment of His plans and His purposes in His universe. So in week one, in the first week of this series, we looked at the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and particularly that one phrase in what we call the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we recognize that there, you cannot separate God's kingdom and God's will. They're linked together, rightly so. They're not two separate things. God's kingdom and God's will are not separable. The purpose, the goal, the result of the kingdom of God is life. Jesus says, I've come so that you might have life and have it to the abundance or to the full. So the kingdom... The the, the kingdom is the life that God intends us to live. And we access that life by submitting to the king's will. The kingdom of God is the realm over which God as king reigns and rules. Um, The kingdom of God is wherever God is in control. Wherever anyone or anything willingly submits to the king's will and rule, there is the kingdom of God. And if you were with us in week one, uh, I I, I shared how, like, growing up, I really loved the the TV show Star Trek. And there was this phrase that often was used in in Star Trek, in the series, and in the movies, where sometimes they would say, you know, like, the captain has the con of the ship. And uh, just to explain that a little bit more, um, the the con uh, is a term, like, if you picture a submarine... And a submarine's like this long tube, but it kind of has this tower that sticks up and sometimes comes up above the water. That's the conning tower. And oftentimes, in the top of the conning tower, a, a skipper can go outside up on the conning tower and can steer and control the ship from there. So, uh, this phrase emerged, in th- this terminology in the Navy. Um, Whenever when you know, someone has control of the ship, they would say they have the con. Okay, they—they it's crystal clear because it needs to be crystal clear. Picture like a nuclear submarine; it needs to be crystal clear who's in control who's driving, who's determining the direction, you know, and so they would use this phrase, you know, the captain has the con, or they use it in Star Trek, like this, you know, Sulu has the con. It's just a phrase that gets used to clarify who's in control, and we talked about who has the con of your life, and we looked at those two circles, those two circles and, um, that, that represented life, and there's a little chair or a throne, you know, in the middle of the circle, and on one circle, ourselves, is on the con, in control, on the throne. And in the other picture, Jesus, the king, is on, on the throne and in control. And we talked about how like, we, we can't just invite Jesus to be our savior, but not our king. Because he's the same guy. He, he's the same person. Jesus, our savior, is the king of the world. He's king of the universe. So when we invite Jesus to be our savior, there, there's this implication that we are also surrendering our lives to his control. Into his will. So that that was week one. Last week, Jesse did a great job just reminding us all, you know, from the book of Isaiah, reminding us all that our identity as sons and daughters of this king means that we care about what's on the king's heart. We care about the things that the king cares about, meaning justice is a big deal. Justice is a big deal to the king's people. And that we follow our king's example. How did he help bring justice? He entered in. He entered in to the chaos. And he got close. And he got near. And, And that's our picture. And that's our example. And that's our pattern of how to be involved in justice in the kingdom of God. It's relational. Today I want to suggest that there are everyday actions. Simple everyday actions that we can choose in our lives, our families, that bring and embody the kingdom of God, that help create a kingdom culture in our lives and in our families. So let me pray, and we'll just spend a few minutes on that. Lord, as we dive into familiar verses today, bring fresh life, fresh inspiration, fresh conviction. Give us insight. Give us these kairos moments that, that, that get our attention and cause us to... to um, grab hold of what you 're saying to us in this moment in this time and, and what we can do about it in our lives in jesus name, I pray amen all right and often quoted uh, almost like a tagline type verse that often gets associated with the kingdom of God is matthew six thirty three Matthew 6, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus is talking about not worrying about all these things that we worry about, what we're gonna eat, what we're gonna wear, you know, how we're gonna like, provide and take care of things, and he, he kind of sums it up at the end, and he says, look, here's the best advice I can give you. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you Everything that you need, and I think what a takeaway from this is this: the kingdom of God is seekable. the kingdom of God is seekable it doesn 't just magically appear, although it can in, in, in when, when Jesus is near, but um, it 's also something that 's this life that we can go after that, that we can pursue the kingdom of God is seekable the kingdom of life can be intentionally. Pursued to seek first the kingdom of God is to pursue the reign of God in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It's welcoming the Lordship of God in my life. Not as an obligation, but voluntarily, you know, willingly, seeking after God's will and his right order of things. And I want to go back to that verse I, I had us quote at the beginning, because I think when I think of like how do we do that? And and what does that look like? The passage that comes to mind to me is an Old Testament passage in Proverbs 3 that we quoted earlier. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I think there's richness in this Old Covenant Scripture um, in understanding the kingdom of God. It has so much application to trust in the Lord, to put all your trust, all your hope and your security completely in God, to lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways to acknowledge him, to trust him, to submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now to us, I think sometimes we read the the power of this verse and it almost feels maybe a bit anticlimactic in its ending. Like, okay, okay, Like I just gotta go all in, give everything to God, just trust him completely, just forget about my view and understanding and inclinations and just acknowledge him, and submit to him as Lord, and what do I get? He'll make my path straight. You know, like, come on. Can I have some more than, I mean, like, just make my path straight? And I think part of it is, like, we don't have the cultural understanding that the Hebrew mind does when they read this scripture. To the Jews of that day, listening to, reciting these words, the imagery found in, in these verses is incredibly rich and incredibly powerful, To the Hebrew mind, this proverb is promising that what God will do when we trust in him completely and submit to him, he will sweep our path. He will sweep our path and he will prepare our way. These were more than just words. Uh, This to to a Hebrew mind um, would create this word picture. It would would associate for them this cultural experience, uh, this Hebrew word called to yashar, Yeshar means to, to make straight. It means to fix or to sweep a path. So, so you can imagine this tradition in, in the ancient world. When a, a noble person or a king perhaps was going to visit your town, the people of the town would make preparations. They, they, would, they would sweep the path. They would fix any cobblestones that were out of place. They'd fill in the potholes. Okay, um, they, they would tidy up around the village or around the town in preparation for the arrival of this noble person or of this king. I mean, it's not a foreign concept, really. Like, it, it's the kind of things that, that we would do today. You know, like, if, if the president of the United States was visiting a town, there's, a, there's people that go before the president and prepare the way and, and secure the way. And, um, you know, or like, like Holland. Like, I don't know, who's the... Who's the head of the Netherlands, Earl? Is it a queen? Is it a person? Like, like, is there a queen or king? king? King, Queen? Pete says king. Earl says queen. So if royalty from the Netherlands were to come to <laughs> Holland, right? We, we would prepare the way. We'd like, hey, let's cover up the graffiti if there's any in sight. You know, let's kind of clean up the streets and make sure the snow melt is working and things like that. Like they, we would yashar a path. We would yashar a path for this person who was visiting it's, it means to go ahead of someone to make sure there's no obstacles. I was thinking about this yesterday morning when I was snow blowing my driveway. Okay, like I was out in the morning snow blowing the driveway and uh, I kind of enjoy snow blowing sometimes. Tori really enjoys it. So like usually I let her do it. But um but uh, I was snow blowing the driveway, and I, I don't know why. I was thinking about this, and I found myself thinking back to my childhood in Lucas, Michigan, where I grew up. And um, you know, we, we were in this uh, this setting, like maybe some of you grew up with as well, where the, my extended family all lived around each other. So Uncle Greg and Aunt Bonnie lived right next door. You know, Great Grandma and Grandpa lived right up the hill. Grandpa and Grandma lived right down the hill. And I can remember when I got old enough to, to learn how to snow blow the driveway... Um, one thing I would do is I would also like, start in our back patio and I would snowblow a path all the way down to Grandpa and Grandma's house. Like I'd go through our yard, around the swing set, around the sandbox, down the hill, by the shed, and, and kind of come up between their, their garage and their house. And I would create the, and then I'd follow it back to my house and create this double-wide walking path between us and the grandparents. So we could like, we don't have to try to like trudge through the heavy snow and trip over things we can't see. It was very clear and smooth um, and obvious. Like this is the path to take. It, it's, it's the same principle that we hear John that we read about John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And it's almost like he almost exaggerates what it means to yeshar the path. For the Messiah. I mean, he even talks about rather than filling potholes, like, I'm going to take the mountains, I'm going to bring them down. You know, I'm going to take the valleys, And I'm going to fill them up, and I'm going to make whatever's crooked straight. Because the one who is coming, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. So imagine this is the metaphor, the word picture, the imagery that the that the, the Hebrew mind would, would go to when they would read this passage. If I trust in the Lord with all my heart, lean not on my own understanding, and all my ways acknowledge him. God, the King, the King of the universe, is going to Yeshar my path. He's going to prepare the way. He's going to sweep the way ahead of me and prepare my path so that I do not stumble. I love this passage. I love these these verses. I mean, we read about it this week, Tuesday, in our Bible reading plan. We read in Psalm 40, Blessed is the one who trusts. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. To trust in the Lord with all your heart means placing our heart at the Lord's feet. You know, we often think that the way through life is to, to trust and follow our own heart. That's not what we're called to do. It's not, it, it, it's not biblical to trust in your own heart. It's biblical to trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what we're called to do, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. To trust in our Lord and our King with all of our heart. To trust so completely that there's no room for anxiety or worry to get the best of us. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 6 when he says, you know, seek first the kingdom. Trust God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And all these other things will be taken care of. That's why I think Matthew 6.33 and Proverbs three five and 6, they're like sister verses. Old Testament and New Testament sister verses that show us, that invite us, that tell us what it looks like to, to bring the kingdom into our lives in a daily manner. To completely entrust our whole being in life in God's sovereignty. To lean not on our own understanding but instead to lean completely on the arms, the strong arms of God. It means not to rely on ourselves. It means to essentially let go of what we think and what we know is the best way and letting God take the helm. Letting him sit in the chair. Letting him have the con. Trusting that he knows perfectly. In all your ways acknowledge him. Not not some ways, not some days, but... All days and all ways, always. All days and all ways, always. To acknowledge Him, to submit to Him as Lord, to, to to acknowledge the existence and the reality and the trustworthiness of God, to acknowledge Him as Lord over all of our world, and to give Him full access to sit on the throne of our hearts. That that He and only He is the is qualified. to to, to know best in our lives. Actually, to, to fully acknowledge Him, to trust in Him, there's nothing wiser or saner than that, than to surrender to the one who's qualified to lead us. And He will direct our paths. He will sweep our path. He will begin to establish and lead us where He needs us, step by step by step. When we seek first His kingdom, When we seek first his will to be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven, excuse me, he will lead us not to temptation, but he will direct our paths. What what does this look like? I I was thinking this week, what does this look like in everyday, ordinary lives? Well, I can't help but think we just heard an amazing, vulnerable, honest story of what this looks like in daily life especially in valley life, especially in suffering. What does it look like to just daily keep trusting in God and taking the next step? Trusting in God and letting Him reveal the next step. Trusting in God and letting Him sweep the path clear for the next step. We heard it in Kevin and Stacy's story. You know, I I think of my friend Matt Crozier, who's somewhere like up there. And uh, I'm... Like just his story of just trying to seek after God and, and, you know, get into these crossroads in life. Like, you know, do I sell my house? Do I keep my house? Do I go to Bible school? What do I do? What's it look like to, to trust in the Lord with all my heart? Lean not on my own understanding. Acknowledge him. So entering into 40 days of prayer and seeking, seeking his kingdom, seeking his voice, seeking his will. And then just being revealed what step to take and then the next step to take. You might not get the whole picture, but you get the next step and the next step and the next step. I think of my my daughter, JC, as she was discerning recently, you know, whether to stay at the school in Wisconsin that she was attending at the time or to come home. And, and what does it look like to to trust the Lord with all her heart and lean not on her own understanding? You know, um, her own understanding wanted her to go here, go there. But she, she set aside a whole month of prayer and listening and invited others to, to listen on her behalf. And through that, like God, he swept the path. He showed her the next step and the next step and the next step. And she's still on that journey. I, I, I think of uh, someday, like it, it's kind of a, a fresh story, but, but someday Dwight's got a good story. Like sometimes, what's it look like to seek God when you're buying a car? And what God might be up to in things like that. Like, it's an amazing story. Or I think of the elders this past weekend. uh, The elders and some of our senior staff got away for a night and a day. And and we're just like, what is God's heart? What is his, what's on his mind? What are his dreams for Victory Point, you know, um, for for this next season? And, And we, you know what we concluded? We need to seek God. We need to trust in God. We need to seek his face. And so we, we, we're entering into a 40-day season of prayer and fasting together. I mean, what does it look like for, for God to direct your paths? It looks like those kinds of things. It looks like, um, it, it looks like uh, seeking his face and, and being in his presence and allowing his presence to guide us. I, I, I'll just kind of close with this story. I came across this really obscure story this week in the Bible. And, uh, and, um where is it? in 1 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, I'd forgotten about this story and and I came across it this week and I thought like there's something in there about what it looks like to 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 seek God and to to trust him and it's this story if you remember this story it's a story where you know the Israelites are um, always in battle you know with the Philistines and the Philistines who are God's you know, who are the enemies of Israel, they've stolen the ark, the, the ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's presence. They've stolen it. And you know, that it's, it's, God doesn't live in a box, but the Ark, you know, was the, the, the box, the wooden box that was in the Holy of Holies that represented the manifest um, presence of God among his people. And uh, the, the Philistines, has, they stole it. But it didn't go so well for the Philistines. They stole the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in one of their temples in one of their towns. And uh, the next morning they got up and they went into the temple. I don't know if you know this story, but their, their stone idols had fallen down on their face in front of the ark. You know, and I think it was like Dagon or something like that was the name of their, their main god. And they're like, well, that's, you know, that's weird. Maybe there was an earthquake or something. So they set their idols back up. And the next morning the idols had fallen down again, and this time they broke. They crumbled, you know, and that creates this dilemma for the Philistines, like, I wonder if this is, really is the Lord's presence, you know, so um, what do we do, you know, and then what, what started to happen is they started to have all these challenges, you know, in their community. There was illnesses and, you know, all, all these calamities and things like that, so they're like, so what do we do? On the one hand, we could give it back to the Israelites But then they're always victorious when they have this box, and then they defeat us. So we don't want to give it back to them, but we don't want to keep it, because look what's happening. All this bad stuff's happening. So how do we know if this really is God's presence? And so this is what was funny. They decide, like, here's what we'll do. This wise man in their midst says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get two cows, okay, two cows that just had baby calves that are still nursing their calves. We want these two cows that have never pulled a cart before. We're going to build a new cart. We're going to put the ark on the cart. We're going to hook the cows up to the cart. And we're going to take their calves and we're going to tie them up over here. And then we're going to point them in the direction of Israel. And then we're just going to see what happens. And if, if the cows decide to head towards Israel against their natural maternal instinct, you know, then that's an indicator to us that it's the presence of God. And if they go towards their calves, then maybe it wasn't the presence of God and this was just all bad luck. So they they do all that and and they back away and the cows start heading towards Israel, you know, towards the people of Israel and bellowing and mooing the whole way down the, you know, the road. And um, I just thought there's something in there about how the presence of God um, supersedes our own instincts and supersedes like our own tendencies and desires. I mean, there's nothing stronger, right, than the maternal instinct of a mother, you know, for a baby or for a calf. But there's something about the presence of God that just kind of guided these cows. And, and I think that's the piece. That I think about Kevin and Stacy, and I, and I think about, you know, Crow and I, I think about JC and I think about the elders. And I think about Jesus, you know, Jesus in the garden. When, when you know he's just really wrestling, you know, um, in his flesh. Like, man, if there's another way, God. If there's if there's another way, if I don't have to go through the cross, like, let's do that. But not my will, but your will be done. All these, all these examples, these people, they they find this in the presence of God, and and I think there's something about continually seeking the presence of God, continually seeking his kingdom that has this natural way of, re- of revealing the next step and the next step and the next step. And when, when, we, when, we, when we do that, we create this culture that, that, that helps bring the kingdom of God just in everyday moments in our lives and in our families. So I want you to just say this with me one more time. Trust in, the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding. In, all your in all your ways submit to Him. And He will make your path straight. i to invite the band forward. We're going to end today with a, a time of reflection and some communion and some singing. But as, as they come forward, let's just take this minute right now and before we move on to anything else, before we start thinking about what's next, right now, what's getting your attention? How is the King speaking to you right now? Maybe you're here this morning and your path hasn't felt very straight lately. Matter of fact, if you were to be honest, your path is pretty crooked. It feels like it's been sort of a crooked, hard path. I feel like I'm sort of over here in the thorns and in the ferns. Or I'm over here like stuck in the swamp. Or I'm stuck in the deep snow and I can't see what's in front of me. A crooked road is much harder to travel than a straight, clear one. Maybe, maybe this morning God is inviting you to fix your eyes on Jesus. The one who made you. The one who loves you. The one who knows everything about you. Maybe this morning he's inviting you to maybe for the first time to, to seriously really trust him. Not in your own heart, but to trust in him. With your heart. And to stop trying to understand everything through your own mind and heart. But instead to just acknowledge him as king and as Lord. And to let him sweep the next step. To reveal the next step. Maybe you're here but your heart is not. Maybe that's been the pattern for a while. You know appreciate Kevin's honesty in that. Like sometimes just because we're here in this building with these people doesn't mean like we're here. Maybe God's inviting you. The, 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 can, can you hear the king's invitation this morning? Like he, he's just inviting you to, to trust him with your heart, to trust him with your life. He's a good king. He's got good things. Whatever it is, what does God saying to you this morning. And what is one thing you could do today, this week, to put trust in him? Because when we trust in him, when we seek his will, the kingdom comes. And his will is done in our lives, on earth, As it is in heaven.